So we're reading, continuing the Srimad Bhagavatam, and we are all the way up to chapter 19. And we're on text 34. So it's still continuing the battle between Hiranyaksha and Brahadev. So let me find it here on my computer. Okay. Mm. So, we're continuing. What to speak of hearing the pastimes of the Lord, whose chest is marked with Srivatsa. People may take transcendental pleasure even in hearing the words and deeds of the devotees, whose fame is immortal. So this is uh, an important concept in, in, uh, in the Vedic literature, this idea of this word tadiya. Tadiya means... Uh, um, in relationship with, right? So uh, devotees are in relationship with the Lord and therefore hearing about them is as good as hearing about the Lord himself because they are connected with the Lord, right? So um, it has that Krishna Sambandha, the a relationship with Krishna and therefore a great devotee sees everything in relationship with Krishna, sees everything as... Uh, in some way or another connected with the Lord, but specifically a devotee, it's kind of like there's radio waves everywhere. Maybe, maybe we should change the example these days to Wi-Fi, but anyway, there's radio waves everywhere, but a radio has the ability to capture those radio waves and you hear NPR or classical music or rock and roll music or, uh, or um, you know, someone doing a Bharat Natyam dance or whatever, right, you know. Because the radio has that ability to capture those radio waves, which right now are in this room, right? But we can't see them. So similarly, the Lord is everywhere. But a pure devotee is like that radio, who can uh, connect with the Lord and uh, understand His presence everywhere and and relay that to others. So, so therefore, here it is said that uh, hearing the works and deeds of the devotees is as enlivening as hearing the works and deeds of the Lord himself. And if you look at the Vedic literature, especially the Srimad Bhagavatam, so much about it is about devotees. As a matter of fact, let's say with Prahlad Maharaj, there's much more about him than, Hirani, than, um, than Nishingadev, actually, in the Bhagavatam, for example. Right? And so many times in the Srimad Bhagavatam, there's stories about uh, great devotees of the Lord. So that's a, that's a point here. Any questions, comments on that? Okay. Wow. It's bigger than life. That's the verse we were just on. <laughs> so text 35. The personality of God had... He's got to run over there and change it. <laughs> the personality of God had delivered the king of the elephants, who was attacked by an alligator and who meditated upon the lotus feet of the Lord. At that time, the female elephants who accompanied him were crying, and the Lord saved them from the impending danger. And then the next verse, what grateful soul is there who would not render his loving service to such a great master as the personality of Godhead? The Lord can be easily pleased by spotless devotees who resort exclusively to him for protection, though the unrighteous men find it difficult to propitiate them, him. And the purport Prabhupada says, every living entity, especially persons in the human race, 
must feel grateful for the benedictions offered by the grace of the Supreme Lord. So just that one sentence has so much, right? Because here we're hearing, for example, every living entity, especially the human race. So he's saying that there's living entities in all kinds of species of life. Sarva Yonishu Kantaya, Krishna says that he, he's a seed-giving father of all living entities. So it's not that animals don't have a soul, for example. Um, any, anything that goes through um, birth, uh, creation, remaining for some time, dwindling, and, and ultimately dying, there's a soul there. And so just this one sentence, uh, every living entity, especially the human race, of course the human race is special in this sense, that um, they, humans can inquire philosophically and do more than just eat, sleep, mate, and defend, which all animals have in common. So if a human being only focuses on eating, sleeping, mating, and defending, then really they are kind of like dwi padapashu, two-legged animals, because they're just acting like an animal does, but they have, you know, in a more sophisticated way. So when the Bible says that man has dominion over the world, it doesn't mean that it's, uh, that dominion means that you can just kill everything that tastes good. If I have dominion over my children, I, obviously I don't have them for dinner. Uh, right? It means that I care for them. It means that I care for them. So human beings are entrusted with a greater responsibility. Um, and so that, that's an important point. Then the next thing is, must feel grateful for benedictions offered by the grace of the Supreme Lord. So even forget about spirituality. You study any, any psychological study on, on gratitude or especially um, thoughts about well-being and, and, whole, and um, wholeness that is you know, in, in the market today. They'll all say that one of the, the best ways to have a peace of mind, to be free from anxiety, to um, be happy in life is to be grateful. Uh, gratitude is so important. You know, it's the opposite of, uh, you know, stepping on the your, your feet are stepping on the flowers and you're criticizing the criticizing the weeds <laughs> next year, something like that. But the opposite is is to be grateful. And here, of course, Srila um, Prabhupada in his purport is connecting gratitude with spirituality. The next sentence says, anyone therefore with a simple heart, do you have it here? Oh really, wow. Anyone therefore with a simple heart of gratefulness must be Krishna conscious and offer devotional service to the Lord. So if one actually meditates on what we should be grateful for, it should, as this sentence says, lead to God. Right? Because did we create the air that we breathe? Uh, the food that we eat, the intelligence that we have, the parents that we have, the, 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 the seasons, right? four seasons, and we're not talking about the music group. Um, right? uh, so these are all um, gifts of the Lord. So that gratitude, like I said, as just a general way to be in life is important. To be grateful for the people in your life and, and, and you know, Again, all the things that I said, the food that we eat, et cetera. But then connecting that with the Supreme Lord is the actual fulfillment of gratitude. Because Krishna says, Aham sarvasya pravavo, matasaram pravartate. 
Iti matva bhajante mam buddha bhava samam. He says that, uh, that I am the source of all material and spiritual worlds. Everything emanates from me. The wise who know this perfectly engage in my devotional service, which is a, is a way of showing gratitude, uh, performs bhakti to the Lord, uh, and worships me with all their heart. So gratitude is such an important thing. So actually, we could do that right now, a 30-second exercise. 30 seconds can seem like a long time when there's silence, okay? But for 30 seconds, think of all the things you're grateful for. Okay, time's up. So that was only 30 seconds. Wasn't it a nice exercise, though? So many things probably came to your mind. Imagine if you do that a few times a day, especially when you start getting angry or upset or, you know, your flat tire, boss yells at you at work. <clears throat> Find a quiet space and think of all the things you're grateful for, and it puts everything into perspective. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, you know, we focus on the, the negative. Okay, so carrying on. Those who are actually thieves and rogues do not recognize or acknowledge the benedictions offered to them by the Supreme Lord, and they cannot render him devotional service. Uh, Stena eva saha, it says in Bhagavad Gita, in the third chapter? Yeah, third chapter. Uh, that they are certainly thieves. <laughs> so uh, these may be, feel like strong words, but the idea is that we, we come into the world with nothing, we leave the world with nothing, and in between, we, uh, have, we have some things. And really, they are, they are on lease. They're rented. <laughs> They're not a permanent uh, acquisition. But we, we think otherwise. So again, the idea of not recognizing to whom they actually belong. Right? This is also the first verse, first verse of the Ishopanishad? Or is it the second verse? What? Well, how does it go? Ishavasya idam sarvam yakin. What is it? Oh. <laughs> Funny, I know that verse like for that, you know, but we're all getting old in this room. <laughs> oh, by the way, speaking of old, um, can you turn the air conditioner on? Uh, thank you. I, I was just trying to remember. My wife said to close the windows and turn on the air conditioning, but I forgot to do it. Yeah. Um, yes. Right. Okay. Thank you. So the idea is that everything is owned and controlled by the Lord. And we all have our quota. And if we try to get more than our quota, uh, that means usually somebody else gets less. But we don't mind. <laughs> um, so the idea, again, is not to be like that, but to be grateful. Ungrateful persons are those who do not understand how much benefit they are deriving by the arrangement of the Lord. They enjoy, thank you, they enjoy, and thank you, they enjoy the sunshine and moonshine, especially tomorrow. There won't be any uh, sunshine for, uh, <laughs> what is it? It starts like at 1.14 and goes on till 4.01. The eclipse of a full, yeah, of, of the main. We yeah, have it's not completed at all. I have, I have people at work that are driving all the way to Wyoming for this, and it's interesting because in the Vedic literature, eclipses are generally seen as inauspicious. In India, most uh, I lived in India for 21 years. 
most of the temples, they close their doors and everything during eclipse, at least, in Brindav, at least in the holy places. In Vrindavan, everything's shut down. They cover all their food, and everyone takes a bath after the eclipse is over. You know? But here in America, everyone's driving to Wyoming to see the... <laughs> yes, sir. Chant Hare Krishna. <laughs> that would be the best thing to do. I'm taking the day off from work in order to chant like that. But everyone is like rushing to these far off places. And they say that even in these very remote places, there's going to be huge traffic jams because people are going to there. I work with Native Americans a lot. And so uh, they, 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 I know one uh, Indian reservation in Wyoming that's just gotten like tens of thousands of requests to stay there. So that people, because it, you know, it's, um, there's no, what do they call it? Um, electric pollution, when there's a lot of um, lights. Light pollution. light pollution, yeah, there's no, you know, so. Anyway, uh, but here we should be grateful. You know, we don't, we don't often think like that, you know, just to be grateful for the sun and the moonshine. Because, right? you know, you, what is it? Familiarity breeds contempt. So I don't know if anyone here has a quick uh, calculator, but I, so I just had my 59th birthday. So 59 times 365, it's uh, whatever it is. You, you know, familiarity, but you just get used to the sun coming up every day. You take it for granted, right? Because um, it's come up every day and it will continue to come up every day even after I'm long gone. But we don't, you know, we can't tend to not take those things. We tend to take those things for granted or having water to drink. Even, you know, there's places in this world that don't have clean water to drink, things like that. Um, and, and we get water free of charge, except now you have to buy it in the Safeway. <laughs> no, you can still. Um, yet, they do not feel grateful, but simply go on enjoying these gifts of the Lord. Therefore, they must be called thieves and rogues. So we should not be thieves and rogues. We should show proper gratitude to Krishna for the, uh, for the benedictions and the gifts that he has given us. So thoughts on gratitude? Or... Yes, Michael? Uh, it seems to me gratitude is like love in that it's best when it's spontaneous, unpremeditated, and... Um, sort of natural and right. when you sort of set your mind to cultivating it or improving it or expanding it with gratitude and love it can it, it can become less um fun <laughs> and more contrived okay good good great question thank you um yes and um what now now this isn't in your case but one might say that we, uh, that thought may be from watching too many uh, Hollywood or Bollywood movies. <laughs> Let me explain. <laughs> because we often, it, it, well, both Bollywood and Hollywood, and even Tollywood if you're from South India. Um, uh, the idea generally is that love is a noun. It's something that you, you just happens to. You fall in love and then you become, right? Anyone knows you just become totally bewildered. You can't think of anything else, right? And you're just like, duh, right? <laughs> um, and, and the idea is it's, just, it's something that kind of happens to you. 
right? But even in regular life, and what to speak of spiritual life, love or prema or bhakti, devotion, is actually a verb. And it's, uh, it takes action, right? It's just like, um, uh, I, sorry to bring up like kind of a somewhat of a mundane example, but in um, Fiddler on the Roof, anyone here seen Fiddler on the Roof? Okay, so in Fiddler on the Roof, uh, the husband is asking the wife, it's a song actually, he's, you know, do you love me? And she goes, do I what? <laughs> and he says, do you love me? And, and she says, for 25 years I've washed your clothes, you know, cooked your meals, did this, you know, and, and she says, if that's not love, what is? So her point was that she demonstrated it as a verb instead of just something that, you know, out of a, out of a, out of a movie. <clears throat> so similarly, um, to develop our love for Krishna, um, it's, it's somewhat unnatural now, although it, it's, it's ultimately nitya siddha krishna preme sadukabhyunoy shavanadi sudhichite karaye udoy that love for God is in our hearts. And it just has to be udoy. Udoy in Bengali means awakened. Um, and how shravanadi jalb, just as you pour water on a plant, you pour the water of hearing and chanting. And that uh, uncovers it. So it's covered now. <clears throat> so we have to uncover it, and that takes sadhana. And sadhana in Sanskrit translates into practice. So it's, uh, it's something that one um, practices, and then it goes from being kind of like you're saying, theoretical and, and hackneyed even, you might use that word, or nah, stale, or I think the best thing for us is maybe theoretical, and then it becomes realized as the relationship increases. Just like you know, the idea of uh, people think it's very quaint now to have arranged marriages. Right, and my marriage was actually arranged for the most part. But anyway, that's another story. But the idea is that, okay, there's no love at first. You just met sometimes on wedding night or, or the parents introduced you a little while ago, but there wasn't really, you know. But you, that relationship develops over time. And, and instead of the whole infatuation thing, ah, you know, and starry died and let's, let's get married, you know. Later, so not that not to say you know uh, make a whole social commentary there, but that's the idea, is that by practice and by development of the relationship, it, it grows over time. So um, gratitude for us, we let's say we were attending this class and we weren't thinking in a very grateful way, and then we heard well we should be grateful for the sun, we should be grateful for the water, we should be grateful for the friendships, and okay that sounds theoretical so i start thinking about that and say, yeah you know i really should start feeling gratitude and maybe i'll maybe i'll even set it on my on my phone that you know it's six o'clock in the morning every day spend a minute thinking grateful now that is mechanical but by practice it it all it becomes uh, uh rag it becomes natural rag uh literally uh rag means colored or that's one so it's just like putting a tint on your glasses so if, you have, if I had a red tint on my glasses, everything would look reddish. So raganuga, or rag is when you, when you put on the glasses of Krishna consciousness, of love for Krishna, then you just see that love permeates 
everything that you do. But that takes practice. How is that for an answer? Is that okay? You were going to grab the mic. Was that just you were going to uh, do a karaoke? No, okay. All right. Yes, uh, you need a mic. You red one. Oh, blue one. Well, we've got a lot of mics today. Mic's right there also. Hare Krishna. So, um, uh, taking Krishna consciousness more se serious several years, I have repeatedly heard from devotees, I mean, they talk and they also express deep gratitude uh, to their spiritual masters, to our founder Acharya, Srila Prabhupada, in the ways I have never known before. Mm, and it nice. touches so deeply. I mean, for a person who is observing and trying to learn from others, and so it, they, they don't stay um, unimpacted, like um, several phrases. Yeah, sure. Hare Krishna. Uh -huh. So, um, several places in our scriptures, it's mentioned that spiritual vision, by the mercy of spiritual master, uh, the spiritual vision is restored. Correct. Uh, you know, there is a deeper understanding about our constitutional position as a servant of the Lord, and how our mood should be in, in pure humility and gratitude is when we can really sincerely offer our services to Guru, to Vaishnavas, to Krishna. So when, when uh, you talk about this topic on gratitude, you know, I'm thinking of all that. And recently we celebrated Srila Prabhupada's appearance day. Every year when we all gather together, that is what I see, especially, you know, all the senior senior disciples of Prabhupada, I mean, they, they do their offer, offerings with such, not just humility, with gratitude. That's like overflowing. Mm -hmm. It's hard not to get it. You, know, you don't just offer, make an offering. Right. It's with deep gratitude. Yes. And that's, I guess, that is the mood we all get, serving and, you know, chanting together. And right. that stands out. So... Just wanted to express yeah, that. Yeah, and that goes back to what we were saying in the previous verse about association. And uh, because when you see other devotees feeling that gratitude, um, and, it's, and I think it's especially profound for us in this sense that for most of us, we weren't brought up directly in that culture. So in one sense, we learned how to cook <laughs> from Sheila Brown, we learned how to dress, we learned how to, you know, in the most, um, you know, bathe regularly, uh, kind of, you know, principles of cleanliness, you know, the most basic things of life, in one sense, we, uh, we adjusted based on uh, his instructions. So we really came from infancy to, uh, I hate, to, I'm sorry about using mundane examples, but get, again, because sometimes when you see something in the mundane world, you just, Multiply it by a thousand. So if anyone ever saw the movie To Serve With Love with Sidney Poitier, uh, and you know, um, uh, I forget the, the lady's name who, you know, but she was so grateful to him that brought her from uh, crayons to perfume, she said, right? And, and how she could never repay him for that. So what to speak of, forget about crayons and perfume, you know, from 
no, no idea or a vague idea of the Supreme Personality of Godhead to Radha Madan Mohan. Um, the devotees feel such great gratitude for that and how their whole life changed. Thank you. Okay, shall we carry on? Anything else? So, text, O Brahmanas, anyone, we, so this is uh, called uh, Shruti Fal, right? Shruti means? Heard, yes, right, yes, yes. And Fal means a fruit. So the fruit of hearing is said here. O Brahmanas, anyone who hears, chants, or takes pleasure in the wonderful narration of the killing of the Hiranyaksha demon by the Lord, who appeared as the first boar in order to deliver the world, is at once relieved of the results of sinful activities, even the killing of a Brahmana. So there you go. If you were in the class the last few weeks, you're good to go. Not that you go out and kill Brahmanas now. <laughs> but uh, but uh, you're relieved of that, those sinful activities. This most sacred narrative confers extraordinary merit, wealth, check your bank account today as you leave, um, fame, longevity, and all the objects of one's desire. On the field of battle, it promotes the strength of one's vital organs and organs of action. One who listens to it at the last moment of his life is transferred to the supreme abode of the Lord, O oh dear Shonaka. So again, this is a shuti fal. It, of course, encourages people to hear. <laughs> the purport says, devotees are generally attracted by the narratives whoops, of the pastimes of the Lord. And even though they do not prosecute austerities or meditation, this very process of hearing attentively about the pastimes of the Lord will endow them with innumerable benefits such as wealth, fame, longevity, and other desirable aims of life. So, so what, is being, what is being inferred here is that the standard kind of pious activities of performing austerities or doing meditations, meditation, not necessarily directly um, connected with bhakti, but that gives some physical well-being or some mental strength, it's not on the same level as simply hearing the pastimes of the Lord. If one continues to hear Srimad Bhagavatam, which is full of narrations of the pastimes of the Lord, at the end of this life, one is sure to be transferred to the eternal, transcendental abode of the Lord. Thus, hearers are benefited both ultimately and for as long as they are in the material world. So that's nice, you get both benefits. It's not uh, a post-stated check that, okay, you, you suffer like a dog here, but at, when you die, you go to heaven, or you go to this, you know. But both uh, the shreyas and the preyas are, um, are the, the same in one sense. The ends and the means are the same. Uh, it's an important point, actually. Um, so preyas comes from the word priya, which means dear, or short-term. And shreyas means long-term. So usually we're, 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 it's, we're instructed in the Shastra that we should be thinking more of shreyas because preyas usually means something, uh, you want something material or you want you know, to enjoy here and now, right now, and you're kind of not thinking of the long-term uh, detriments to, to those actions. But here it's saying 
that the here benefits both in the long term and right now. So you feel transcendental pleasure also hearing the pastimes. Now you, you can actually, if you actually can get absorbed in reading the Bhagavad Gita or the Srimad Bhagavatam or the other Vedic literature, Chaitanya Charitamrita, etc. Um, if you actually kind of sit and gauge your consciousness before you read and then try to absorb your mind for let's say a half hour, an hour in hearing and then gauge your consciousness afterwards, you'll see that you'll, you'll actually, it's not something you put off. You can actually feel the difference in that half hour or hour. That is the supreme sublime result of engaging in devotional service. The beginning of devotional service is to spare some time and listen to the Srimad Bhagavatam from the right source. Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also recommended five types of devotional service, namely, so this is called Panch Anga Bhakti. Pancha means five. Anga means different limbs or aspects. And so here they are, the five most potent items of bhakti, to serve the devotees, okay, to chant Hare Krishna, to hear Srimad Bhagavatam, to worship the deity of the Lord, and to live in a place of pilgrimage. Just performing these five activities delivers one from the miserable conditions of material life. So again, if you can't necessarily live, let's say, on this property, as very few people can, you can make your house a place of pilgrimage. You can have uh, pictures of Krishna there or a deity of Krishna and offer your food to Krishna like that and make your house a place of pilgrimage. And then also, as we're going to hear about in the next chapter, from time to time, visit the actual dhams like Sri Brindavan or Sri Jagannath Puri or Dwarka Dham, or Mayapur Dham. In, in October, I will go to Ujjain, where, a holy place where Krishna went to school. And then in November, I'll go back to India and I'll go to Vrindavan, place of Krishna's pastimes. So to go to holy places is important. Right, Henry? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's the end of that chapter. Oh, we're already on the next chapter. <laughs> okay, anything on that? Anything on uh, what we just read or heard about hearing and the holy places and the five most items of bhakti? Yes, read? Yeah. It's on. Well, they, it did say in further purports that it was like a yo-yo. They, they gave that idea of visiting for pilgrimage, but they, they said, however, in this age, it's, the we're value talk of that, about that is diminished. That's, yeah. that's what I was referring to. Yes, that's what I was referring to as... Uh, something to discuss. So can I give you a post to check on that? Okay. Anything else on this? Okay. Put your seatbelts on. We're going on to chapter 20, conversations between Maitreya and Vidura, which is going to start morphing into Maitreya or Vidura, I can't remember which, going back and bringing up a topic that was already discussed, I think, in the fifth and sixth chapter of this canto, creation, and how this world came about. Okay. Sri Shonaka inquired, O Sutta Goswami, after the earth was again situated in its orbit, 
What did Swayambhuva Manu do to show the path of liberation to persons who were to take birth later on? And I only I asked us to read this purport just for this one sentence actually. In each Manu's period, there are many changes in many ways. Then there are 14 Manus within one day of Brahma. So I, I, I thought that was interesting because, um, so we're going to talk, let's say, for example, about creation here, in, in, right? And um, <clears throat> when describing you know, how this world came about and, and how modern science says it came about through evolution, et cetera, et cetera, it's not that the world was stagnant, but even but during Manu's time, many, many changes. You know, there, there's you know, theories about you know continents colliding, and you know who knows. But but at least Prabhupada is saying here, in, a very, in the most general way, that not everything necessarily remains. You know, just like okay, Krishna created earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego, which we're going to hear about in this chapter, and. Brahma put those all together like somebody might put together a Lego thing and create all kinds of things with Legos, right? Um, but it's not that they can't be changing in different ways. And, and here I just thought that's, that is interesting that there, the, in each, there are many changes in many ways. He doesn't go into the details of what those changes are. But, you know, the world, the things change. It's constantly changing. Constantly changing, yeah. Just pick up the newspaper every day. A new craziness. <laughs> right, they say that the one thing you can be certain of is change. Right, yes. Yes. Is that Hindi? Wait, wait, do you hear it? Put it in the mic so that people can memorize your Hindi. It's on. So in Hindi they say, Jag ka niyam hai parivartan. The only constant in life is change. Is change, yes. <laughs> and Krishna says that in the Gita, Dehina Shvinyata Dehe, Komaram Yovaram Jara, Tata Dehantara Praptir, Dhiras Tatra Namuyati. That the body changes from childhood to youth to middle age to old age. I was just talking to my friend Shonaka Rishi Prabhu is here from Oxford in England. And uh, he's known my son since he was, practically since he was born. And he's also known the, um, the woman that my son is going to marry from when she, so I was showing him a picture and he said, yeah, I, I know both of them since <laughs> they were, uh, what do they say, uh, knee high to a grasshopper? Right. <laughs> and so, uh, so that, so that, He's seen the changes, so change is constant, yeah. And matter of fact, in my work, I do a lot uh, with what they call change management. And so it's an ongoing uh, profession because things change, especially in the federal government. Thing, every time a new president comes in, new secretary comes in, and they, they have to make their mark on the world, so they change things. Okay. Shonakarishi inquired about Vidura, who was a great devotee and friend of Lord Krishna, and who gave up the company of his elder brother because the latter, along with his sons, played tricks against the desires of the Lord. 
Vidura was born from the body of Veda Vyas and was not less than he. Thus he accepted the lotus feet of Krishna wholeheartedly and was attached to his devotees. So wouldn't that be nice if we could say we accept Krishna's lotus feet wholeheartedly and we are attached to Krishna's devotees. And here's the pur purport. Vidura was purified of all passion. So we don't sometimes remember that passion, the mode of passion, Rajaguna is our great, one of our great enemies, one of our great things that we struggle with. Because here is, Vidura is glorified for being freed of passion. Uh, how did he do it? By wandering to sacred places. And at last he reached Hardwar. Who's been to Hardwar? Yeah? Not so many? You haven't been? Did you bathe in the Ganga there? And so cold also. Yeah. Hacha. You hold on to the uh, chains. The water goes so fast there that they have chains, so people who want to take bath, they don't get swept away by the current. What? It's very, it's fast, very fast moving water. And it's coming from uh, Gangotri, so it's, you know, just ice melted water. Yes, there's the uh, Ganga Puja every evening in Hardware, and there are these huge key lamps with just, I don't know how many, 108 or something of these, you know, these tall uh, candles kind of things, and, and they sing. Uh-huh. Then you put it in the water. No, it's not environment. Don't tell your daughter. Yes. You, 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 they, out of leaves, they make these little boats, and they put a, some flowers in there and a kiwik, and then you put that in the Ganga, and it floats down. But it's not environmentally friendly. So somewhere down in Delhi, there's 10 million of those. <laughs> Something like that. Yes, by the time it gets to, uh, well, that's the Jamuna. By the time the Jamuna gets to Delhi, it's, Cut them. It's, uh, it's been polluted quite a bit. Okay, so uh, where he met, so imagine what Haridwar was like in Vidura's time. Very pristine. No um, uh, beady packages around and things like that. When he met the great sage who knew the science of spiritual life and he inquired from him, Sonika Rishi therefore asked, what more did Vidura inquire for Maitreya? So then a little down in the purport, it says, Vidura wanted to purify himself by traveling to all the sacred places, which are so situated that anyone who goes there automatically becomes purified. This is especially true in Brindavan. How many of you have been to Brindavan? Michael, you've been to Brindavan? Well, okay. I've also been. Yeah, I live there. I, this is especially true in Vrindavan. Any person may go there, and even if he is sinful, he will at once contact an atmosphere of spiritual life and will automatically chant the names of Krishna and Radha. Right? Even the rickshawwalas go, Radhe, Radhe. That, will have actual, that we have actually seen and experienced, because Prabhupada lived there. 
Okay. And then he goes on to say, it's recommended that when we retire from active life, except Svana Prasanal, the next is the paragraph that we were just hearing about um, from Andy. Another significant point is that one must go to sacred places, not only to take bath, but to search out great sages like Maitreya and take instructions from them. If one does not do so, his traveling to places of pilgrimage is simply a waste of time. Narottama Das Thakur, a great acharya of the Vaishnava sect, has, for the present, forbidden us to go to such places of pilgrimage because in this age, the times have so ch having so changed, a sincere person may have a different impression on seeing the behavior of the present residents of the pilgrimage sites. It's just like when you go to Loy Bazaar. Loy Bazaar is, uh, we went together to Loy Bazaar, uh, Vinod and myself and my wife and her husband. And so you go to Loy, Loy Bazaar is a big shopping mall, <laughs> in quotes, in Vrindavan. So everyone there is chanting Hare Krishna. All the storekeepers are going, Hare Krishna, I, I come here, Hare Krishna, please come. <laughs> <laughs> but you know they're 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 not like chanting Hare Krishna as we're trying to chant, right? Oh, Krishna, please! It's more like, give me money, come, come. <laughs> right. So he has recommended that instead of taking the trouble to travel to such places, one should concentrate his mind on Govinda, and that will help him. Of course, to concentrate one's mind on Govinda in any place is a path. For those who are the most spiritually advanced, it is not for ordinary persons. Ordinary persons may still derive benefit from traveling to holy places like Prayag, Mathura, Vrindavan, and Haridwar. You could read this paragraph and go because <laughs> it seems like Prabhupada's going back and forth like three or four times. So, so we have to dissect it and kind of understand um, kind of what he's referring to at different parts of this purport. Okay, so this paragraph. So, the first thing is quite clear, right? That, that it's, and this is one of the essential parts of this paragraph. Don't just go to holy places to take bath. You do get purified, right? Taking bath in the Ganga, taking bath in Jamuna is purifying. But much more important is taking bath in the association of devotees. Because as, we as we were just hearing from... Uh, Anantarupa Mataji, and you know, not only do you hear what they say, you pick up their mood of devotion. And you know that mantra that I often say is that Krishna consciousness is caught as much as it's taught. So when you're with people who actually um, ex are experiencing Krishna's presence in their lives, it rubs off on us. So that's, so that's, that's kind of a key point here. And therefore, if one does not do so, Traveling is a waste of time. Now we know from other places, you have to put everything in context. It's not completely a waste of time. We know because taking bath in the Ganga is purifying, taking bath in Jamuna is purifying. You know, just being in a holy place has some effect. So what Srila Prabhupada is saying here is sometimes he would speak in hyperbole, in, in, you know, and it's making the point that you really got to go for associating with devotees. Otherwise, you're really missing the point. So total waste of time, no. We know that from other things he said in Shastra. But in this context, he's emphasizing the importance of Vaishnava Sangha, associating with devotees. Okay? 
So then the next sentence, and then he quotes Narutama Das Thakur, who's making the same point in, in, in this song. Yeah, it's, it's really the same point that he's making in the song that, um, you know, don't go to holy places if you're not going to associate with true people and you might get the association of bogus people. Right, so that's, so therefore you have to use one's discrimination when, uh, you know, sometimes <laughs> for myself in Radhakund, Radhakund's the most sacred place in the universe, right? Um, and so there's these pandas there uh, these, uh, who basically they usually want you to do some puja, you know, uh, putting a leaf in the, you know, the same kind of thing that Reno's talking about into the, Usually it's flowers there because they don't want to pollute the, it's a much smaller lake. It's just a small uh, kundal, uh, not even a lake, a pond. Yeah. Um, there, so, you know, they have their, they're, they're, they're residents of the Holy Dom, so they're special people. And at the same time, really, they, their interest is in taka, is in money. So, so and they can be really, um, how should I word this? enthusiastic in getting uh, visitors to uh, take a tour with them or to you know, do some kind of puja there. So I found out who was, the, who was the head panda, right? And so whenever I went there, I would call for him. And all the other pandas were like, oh, okay, you want to see Mohan, right? So I call Mohan. I say, Mohan, here's some rupees. I just want to be left alone. No pujas, no tours. And you just, I, you know, I give him a generous donation because I figure how often do I get to the holiest place in the world, right? I give a nice donation, and then he just kind of guards me the rest of my time there and shoes away all the kids who want to sell you a little tea lock, <laughs> you know, all the things that kind of interfere with your meditation. And so I found that to be a really good formula for having a spiritual uh, experience in Radhakund, <laughs> my little trick there. If you go there, just ask for Mohan. He's... Um, but anyway, because you, you can get the wrong idea. Right? If you think, God, all these bridge bossies are just, they just seem like they're not, you know. It, it, it's also, that another aside is you don't, it's tricky to kind of understand the mind of a bridge bossy because they grew up just like Christians, just like a family member. You know, we have the deities, like, you know, awe and reverence. It's just like, oh, Radhe, Radhe, you know. So anyway. But that's the real, that's the point that Narottam Das Thakur is. You know, if you can go to a holy place and meet holy people, that's obviously the best thing. Right? And then he says, and so then he gives a very, as Prabhupada mentions, a very high instruction that don't, you don't have to go there, you can remember Govinda anywhere. Right? This is also corroborated, is that the right word? Um, In the first canto, can't remember which. I think it's chapter thirteen. But who is who's saying it to who? That uh, they're saying to Vidura actually that people like you are veritable holy places. Tir Tirvani Tirtakurvanti, I believe it is, the Sanskrit. Yeah, you know. Vino. You people like you are, are, are holy places personified. Yeah. And not only that, but they say that when great souls go to a holy place that is filled with people of questionable, they actually purify the holy place. 
That's how powerful it is. So, so, so he's giving this thing, well, no, if you're very advanced, you don't have to go to a holy place. You can remember Govinda anywhere. Right? And then Prabhupada makes the point, well, that's for very advanced people. Right? And ordinary folks, and I think that might include us, <laughs> um, we can get benefit. So does that help with that balance? Okay. Any other thoughts on holy places? Henry, what's your experience going to Brindavan? It completely changed your life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Hold on. I didn't believe in anything, but I happened to end up in Vrindavan, and I met some advanced devotees, and they changed my life in a matter of hours. Wow. There you go. A good advertisement for Vrindavan. <laughs> I still remember that. That was fun. <laughs> yes. We threw Chaman in the Radhakun. No, we didn't do that. <laughs> Mohan, yeah. I think we met Mohan. That's right. Yeah. Yes. 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 At that time, we noted in. Uh, and her husband uh, <clears throat> were saying, oh, no, we're very happy. Please come to Vrindavan. Please come to Washington, D.C. Now they're probably saying, please go back to Vrindavan. <laughs> okay, next verse. Okay. Shonaka inquired about the conversation between Vidura and Maitreya. So he's going back to that discussion that was earlier in this canto. There must have been many narrations of the spotless pastimes of the Lord. The hearing of such narrations is exactly like bathing in the water of the Ganges. There's that point, right? For it can free one from all sinful reactions. O Sutta Goswami, all good fortune to you. Please narrate the activities of the Lord, which are all magnanimous and worth, glorif worth glorifying. What sort of devotee can be satiated by hearing the nectarian pastimes of the Lord? So you can't be satiated. We can be, everything has its satiation point in this world, even if you love, um, I don't know, what should we say? Um, strawberry ice cream? You know, by the 10th scoop, you're like, you don't want to see strawberry ice cream again ever, right? But you don't get that from hearing. But the tricky thing is, so you might say, well, Prajvihar, you just said that, but the reality is, um, I don't have such a taste yet. So then, and there we go back to the nectar of instruction analogy of jaundice. That we have a jaundice, and in jaundice, sweet things don't taste sweet at first. But by regularly taking sugar candy, the sweetness comes about. So that's, so that's back to Michael's question earlier, actually. So we know this theoretically, that the hearing of Krishna's pastimes is really wonderful. And we know that when we do it with a really open heart, um, we, we do feel something. But the idea of it being like the most nectarian thing and better than watching a Redskins game, we may not be there yet, right? But it takes, as we were saying to Michael's question, that practice of doing it, and then the natural love comes about. 
just like in an arranged marriage, the husband and wife practice kind of serving each other and taking care of each other and getting to know one another, and gradually the uh, love develops. On being asked to speak by the great sages of Naimasharanya, the son of Ramaharshana, Sutta Goswami, whose mind was absorbed in the transcendental pastimes of the Lord, said, please hear what I shall now speak. Sutta Goswami continued, Vidura, so now Sutta Goswami, so you know, it's a, it's a conversation within a conversation within a conversation, right? So now Sutta Goswami is speaking to the sages of Naimasharanya about the discussion between Vidura and Maitreya. And of course, Sukadeva Goswami is telling Maharaj Prikshit this, yes. And sometimes you'll have a conversation within a conversation within a conversation within a conversation. Vidura, the descendant of Bharata, was delighted to hear the story of the Lord who had assumed, having assumed uh, who, having assumed by his own divine potency the form of a boar, had enacted the sport of lifting the earth from the bottom of the ocean and indifferently killing the demon Hiranyaksha. Vidura then spoke to the sage as follows. So it's funny, I, oh wait, so this is text nine, right? Vidura said, since you know of matters inconceivable to us, tell me, O holy sage, what did Brahma do to create living beings after evolving the prajapatis or the progenitors of living beings? So you see how the topic is going back to something that was discussed. So we're done with this pastime of Hiranyaksha for the time being. Now back to this question. And I think I told you to read the purport to verse 10. Anyone notice that there's no purport? I was just testing you. No, I just spaced that. Um, but in 9 it says, significant here are the words of Yakta Margavit, one who knows that which is beyond our perception. To know matters beyond one's perception, one has to learn from a superior authority in the line of disciplic succession. So again, it's just showing the um, difference between uh, ascending and descending process of acquiring knowledge. We're so... Um, surrounded by the idea of ascending knowledge and figuring everything out. Um, and, you know, I know in my work and probably in many of your jobs and things, it's such a given. Well, you know, what, what, is the, uh, what, 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 is the, what did the investigation come up with or what was the experiment and, you know, was there, you know, and all trying to figure out everything. And you can figure out some things. This is the tricky thing, but ultimately... Um, for things that are beyond our understanding, the Vedas say it has to be descending, coming into siblic succession. Text 10, Vidura inquired, how did the Prajapatis, such progenitors of living entities as Marichi and Swayambhuvamanu, create according to the instructions of Brahma, and how did they involve, evolve this manifested universe? Text 11, did they evolve the creation in conjunction with their respective wives? Did they remain independent in their action or did they all jointly produce it? So Maitreya answers, 
<clears throat> when the equilibrium of the combination of the three modes of nature was agitated by the unseen activities of the living entity, by Mahavishnu and by the force of time, the total material elements was produced. So here, in one few, se few sentences, is the beginning of the whole Vedic understanding of creation, right? Um, so there's, this e there's the three modes of material nature. The equilibrium of the combination of the three modes is called pradhan. So it's the three modes of material nature in an unmanifested, unagitated state, okay? And then it's agitated by the unseen activities, uns that's karma, our activities from previous times, by the Lord himself, Mahavishnu, and by the force of time. So that the, these are what's uh, injected into pradhan, the Lord's glance, the living entities, their karma, and then what stirs it, just like when you're making kitri, what stirs the whole thing is the time factor. Okay. Um, so here, I don't think I'd ask you to read this, but we'll read a little of this. The cause of the material creation is described here very lucidly. The first cause is dhaiva, or the destiny of the conditioned souls. The material creation exists for the conditioned soul who wanted to become a false lord for sense enjoyment. So it's there for us because we wanted to live separately from Krishna. So then you might say, well, why have a, why have a material? It's just like, as far as I know, I haven't studied this, but my guess is, uh, and if anyone can prove me wrong, I'd be happy to hear it, that every country in the world has a prison system. I don't know if, does anyone know if there's any countries that don't? In uh, India, you uh, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and it's a pretty interesting place. Sometimes we go there to do kirtan and distribute prasadam. And it's pretty, it's pretty amazing, actually. You get like, you'll get like, what is that one place called, Tihar? In uh, Delhi area? Yeah, so we went there. And we had like, you know, 10,000 inmates, you know, with their hands up. You know, put your hands up. Repeat after me, Hare, Hare, Krishna, Krishna. <laughs> then we distributed Kitri Prashadam. But there's, uh, so they're, they're, you know, it's not that the prisons are desired things, but because some people have a desire to act like criminals, there's, there's almost always going to be a prison. So here, um, that's kind of what's being said here, that the material world exists because of our desire to, our um, inappropriate use of our uh, independence. So let's go on to the next uh, verse, 13, which we will read the purport. As impelled by the destiny of the jiva, the false ego, which is of three kinds, evolved from the mahatattva. So maybe next week I will bring a little chart for this. But the idea is, so the pradhan is there, right? This in, inert three modes. The glance of the Lord, the living entities, their karma and the time factor. And that... And that kind of wakes up the pradhan, you could say, and it becomes what's called the mahatattva. And from the mahatattva, uh, there is a false ego, the false idea of who we are, that manifests in three phases, goodness, passion, and ignorance. And from goodness comes the mind of the living entity and the demigods, um, from passion, uh, intelligence, what? And who? 
Prajapatis? No, isn't that goodness? Brahma comes from goodness. Yeah, demigods are from goodness. Oh, Prajapatis. And then where did, and then there's, yes, but then they have all the, the uh, Tanmatras. Anyway, it comes up in, the, uh, in this. Uh, so so uh, evolved from the Mahatattva in which the element of Rajas predominates, mode of passion. From the ego, in turn, evolved many groups of five principles. So here this is described in the purport. The primordial matter, or prakriti, material nature, consisting of the three modes, generates four groups of five. Now I know that sounds like, huh? So next week I'll bring a chart, it becomes clear. But the primordial matter, that's this mahatattva, and there's four groups of five. The, five, the first group is called elementary, so that's bumir, apo, nalo, vayu, kang, earth, water, fire, air, ether. So in our example earlier, those are the um, Legos, right? You could also add mind intelligence, right? So the, the building blocks of the world, the Legos, earth, water, fire, air, ether, okay. The second group of five is called Tanmatra, referring to the subtle elements, sense objects, the objects of the senses. So that is sound, touch, form, taste, and smell. These are also created. This, the third group is the five sense organs for acquiring knowledge, right? So these are the five senses that we have that acquire knowledge. Eyes, right? You, you acquire knowledge through your eyes. Ears, nose, tongue, and skin. And the fourth group is the working senses. The speech, hands, feet, anus, and genitals. Some say there are five groups of five. One group is the sense objects, one is the five elements, one is the five sense organs um, for acquiring knowledge, another is the senses for working, and the fifth group is the five deities who control these divisions. So a very kind of scientific or, or scientific, um, organized way of seeing how uh, the world comes about is explained in the Vedic literature. Separately, unable to produce the material. Anyone have a questions or comments on that? Yes. A microphone for you. It's a red one. Oh. Hare Krishna. Um, my question is, what's the difference between Mahatattva and Praktir? And Prakriti, and Prakriti, same. Sometimes they're there. I think it, I, my understanding is, according to this verse, it's the same. Prakriti can, is usually used in a general sense to mean material nature. Uh, like, like so many things, even in the English language, um, the words are used in different, at different times in different ways. Just like Atma can refer to the soul, can refer to the mind, can refer to the body. Uh, so there are two words refer to the same substance. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Thank you. Just like, you know, we have, we do that all the time in English, right? Um, uh, uh, some little mound of something can be a, a heap, it can be a, you know, um, a pile, yeah, right, <laughs> right, yeah. So prakriti um, can sometimes mean material nature. Sometimes we're considered prakriti in the sense that Krishna is a purusha or the enjoyer and we're the enjoyed. Um, 
so different. But here, I think it's, because well, I, 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 I was wondering that myself when I was reading this. And my understanding is in this context, it's being uh, equated with uh, the Mahatattva. Okay? Any other questions, comments? Okay, let's carry on. Yes, Vinodji. What did you think? Ah, I'm afraid you're going to ask that. The space in between everything else, yeah. Um, Michael, do you have a good explanation for that? What is ether as compared to air? Or what's that? It's the vacuum? Hare Krishna. Sorry. Go ahead. I, I mean, I kind of have an idea, but I'll go ahead, uh, yes. Jiva. Hare Krishna. So ether is referred to as space, the volume. So air can be compressed with pressure. But then the space is a constant factor and is much more subtle than air right. or fire means as it becomes more and more grass. But it's actually referred to volume or space. So there is, you know, one fourth of that is cloudy region, which is called material universe. Three fourths is the spiritual universe. So that's the whole space that evolves in the form of ether. Yeah. Yes, and ether is the most subtle element. And that's yes. why I can't explain it so well. And, <laughs> and Andy, you were going to say? You have a microphone? So how is our body is made of ether? Well, it's always been a big uh, conundrum for science or religion because they, they had to make something. We know that things are related in space. And so like when Einstein, when he did the theory of gravitation, he said, well, just imagine a rubber sheet. And when you have a, a big body like the sun, it makes a big dent in that sheet, right? And it has gravity to hold all the planets. And then a smaller body like the Earth makes a smaller dent in that rubber sheet and can only hold the moon, couldn't hold another planet. So it's, it's always been hard to define. And, uh, and I don't think it means it has to be, these five have to be in everything. It's, no, not it's the five building blocks for everything we see. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you're asking, how is it in the body? Well, again, this is not my field of speciality, but we have like the description of pran, right? You know, prana, right? And, and uh, the life air, we call it. But it's a very subtle um, element. It's, it's not like, you know, we, we know what air is like. You know, we can blow out air and uh, we pass uh, gas and things like that. Um, but the, the, the uh, just like in the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, it talks about um, the uh, pranayama, right? And the, um, uh, the more subtle natures of air. Did you were going to say something, Prabhu? No, no, no. I think you saved me. I stepped that, on that thing. That he, uh, he Are you all right? Yeah, but if somebody had been dancing and stomped on that, that's a hard note. Yeah. Mm. Part of the hangover from all the celebrations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that somebody's um, uh, ether could get really messed up by stepping on that. <laughs> um, So it's it's a it's what did, in the four, in the ninth chapter of the Gita also it talks about this. Um, 
chapter verse four, verse four and five, right? Let me see if I. That's a really good question, you know. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I'm not. Um, someone. Uh, What do they say? They all say five steps, say body believing. Yes. Five elements. Five elements. So then in one conversation I was asking and I thought it's really solid question. Can you say the one is five? Oh, Akash. Akash, yeah. So I think that's the same thing as here. So I can understand water, fire, you know, other elements, but that elements uh, I'm not able to relate how you think the body is made of. Well, I don't but, know if, yeah, I'm sorry. But since you said about pran, I heard many times that something is there when we say, oh, pran nikal gay, you know, so body is there, everything is there, but some element is there when you separate from a body, then body become dead. Right. And many people explain in many different ways. I heard that many times. Here's one explanation. I know this isn't exactly to the point, but it, it comes from um, the, sixth, the ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, verse number six. And Krishna says, understand that as the mighty wind blowing everywhere rests always in the sky, all beings rest in me. So here, let's... let's uh, so Krishna gives an analogy to help, to help us. The sky, like an upside-down bowl, contains the wind. In the same way, all created beings rest in me. Just as the sky is detached from the wind, the wind, though in the sky, blows freely and independently. The sky restricts only the area of movement, not the movement itself. So that this was actually explaining a different part of the analogy, but that there's a difference between the akash, the, the sky, and the air. But the air is, you know, so that's, yes, Jiva. Hare Krishna. And here is the word sky refers to ether. Yes, yes, here yes, exactly. So let me think if I can get a better explanation for you. you know, Jiva. No. That's a little bit, uh, it's a very subtle element, and we know that um, the idea of, of the life heirs is a very subtle, it's the most uh, subtle thing even in Ayurvedic medicine or, you know, and pranayama. And you can, although you can sometimes see that when, you're, when your pran is, when your life heirs are depleted, you feel it in, more in the other, the other elements in the body, the more gross ones uh, feel, feel depleted. Um, does that help a little? A little bit. Yeah, <laughs> and I'll wait for your further explanation. All so right, anytime, okay. you know. Thank you. Yes. Could I add something more to, you know? Sure. Oh, so again, these are the five gross elements, and we are seeing the subtleness in relation to each other. And then there are three, uh, you know, part of the subtle body, there are three other elements, mind, intelligence, and false ego. Right. Mind is, you Those know, are more, more subtle. subtle than ether, yeah. and intelligence is furthermore subtle than that. And then false ego is really more subtle. And it, I was reading this, uh, and there was a reference given where in Srimad Bhagavatam and the Purport, Srila Prabhupada explained that how mind expands to the shadow. 
that's casted by the body. Mm. So that goes beyond our gross bodily dimensions onto the shadow as well. And that's why we say do not cross someone's shadow, or saintly person's shadow, or step on it. Because you're actually, you know, stepping into their subtle body aspect. That's sure. Thank you for that. I just sent myself an email reminding me to look into ether. Yeah, I've been hearing this uh, from my childhood. You know, paach tat se body bani, paach mein mil jati baad mein. Then you go back to the same thing. So uh, We will get you a really satisfying answer. <laughs> okay, thank you. Right, in this age, you, you don't need to know anything. <laughs> you just need to know where to find the information, <laughs> right? <laughs> so let me check uh, Google Dave. <laughs> Instead of Guru Dave, you only need Google Dave. Okay, what verse are we on? Fourteen? Uh, okay. Separately, unable to produce the material universe, they combined with the help of the energy of the Supreme Lord and were able to produce a shining egg. For over 1,000 years, the shiny egg lay on the waters of the causal ocean in the lifeless state. Then the Lord entered it as Garbo Dakshayi Vishnu. Oops, excuse me. Just give me a second here. Okay. Uh, what's the next verse that we're to read? Was it this one? From the because I just lost it on my computer. That's why I'm asking. Fifteen. What's that? I have it here. Okay, I found it. Seventeen is the next one. Okay. From the navel of the personality of God, Garbo Dakshai Vishnu, sprouted a lotus flower effulgent like a thousand blazing suns. This lotus flower is a reservoir of all conditioned souls. And the first living entity who came out of the lotus flower was the omnipotent Brahma. When that supreme personality of God was lying on the Garbo ocean, Oh uh, no, when that Supreme Personality of Godhead, who was lying on the Gabbardakshaya ocean, entered the heart of Brahma, Brahma brought his intelligence to bear. And when the intelligence invoked, uh, he began to create the universe as it was before, purport. At a certain time, the Personality of Godhead, Karana Dakshaya Vishnu, lies on the Karna ocean and produces many thousands of universes from his breathing. And by the way, even a lot of Modern science says that, you know, also, I don't um, feel that there's numerous universes, right? Uh, he, uh, then he entered again into each and every universe as Garbhodakshai Vishnu and filled up half of each universe with his own perspiration. The other half of the universe remains vacant, and that vacant region is called outer space. Then the lotus flower sprouts from his abdomen and produces the first creature, Brahma. Then again, this is like the whole Vedic creation in a paragraph. Then again, as Shirodakshai Vishnu, the Lord enters into the heart of every living entity, including Brahma. This is confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, 15th chapter. The Lord says, I am seated in everyone's heart, and by me um, are remembrance and forgetfulness made possible. As a witness of the activities of the individual entities, the Lord gives each one remembrance and intelligence to act according to his desire at the time he was annihilated in his last birth in the last millennium. 
This intelligence is evoked according to one's own capacity by the law of karma. Brahma was the first living entity and he was empowered by the Supreme Lord to act in charge of the mode of passion. Therefore, he was given that required intelligence, which is so powerful and extensive that he is almost independent of the control of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Just as a highly posted manager is almost as independent as the owner of a firm, Brahma is described here as independent because as the Lord's representative to control the universe, he is almost as powerful and independent as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So that, I, when I read this, I thought of, uh, Management, you know, they talk about empowering your employees and things like that. So here, Krishna was definitely empowering Brahma to do that work and gave him a lot of responsibility. And as long as he acts, so yeah, it's just such a big thing in management today, this whole idea of uh, empowering your, uh, and not micromanaging them, right? The opposite of empowering is micromanaging. So Krishna didn't micromanage Brahma like, hey, what are you doing now? You know, no, no, you shouldn't have uh, created uh, New York so close to Washington, D.C., you know, whatever, <laughs> right? He didn't micromanage him. Okay, let's go on to verse 18. And I think we were supposed to read that also. First of all, Brahma created his shadow. Uh, from his shadow, the coverings of ignorance of the conditioned souls. They are five in number and are called Tamishra, Andra Tamishra, Tamas, Moha, and Mahamoha. See, the problem with this is if I, make, if I pronounce something wrong or I miss a word, you guys can all see me making the mistake. <laughs> so, the conditioned souls or living entities who come to the material world to enjoy sense gratification are covered in the beginning by five different conditions. The first condition is a covering of Tamishra or anger. Then anger now is going to be uh, described a little more clearly here. Constitutionally, each and every living entity has minute independence. It is misuse of that minute independence in the conditioned soul, um, for the conditioned soul, to think that he can also enjoy like the Lord, or to think, why shall I not be a free enjoyer like the Supreme Lord? This forgetfulness of his constitutional position is due to anger or envy. So, you see, God is completely free to do anything and everything. Abhigya Swarat, right? Just like we know, we all know Swaraj, right? Anyone who studied Indian history, uh, there's, I don't think there's anyone here old enough to uh, have been around in 1947 when, or well, prior to that, when Gandhiji was promoting Swaraj and, and also Subhash Chandra Bosch and, and all those great people in history. But the idea of independence, that Swaraj was independence uh, from British rule, from the Raj, um, the British Raj. But, these, but hundreds and thousands of millions of years ago before that, this word was used in a different context, right? Uh, that Krishna, the Supreme Lord, is Abhigya and Swarat, right? He is actually independent. In other words, you can't say, you know, Krishna, I really don't like the way you that Rasa Leela thing, oh, very bad. You shouldn't have done like that. Right? And he's just going to say, who are you? <laughs> right? I can do what I want, right? But we like to think that we, we, subtly or grossly, we don't walk around strutting, you know, down K Street saying, 
I can do anything I damn well please, right? We don't do that, and we, and we can't do anything. We can't drive on the left side of the road like we're in India because we're gonna get in trouble very quickly. But still, we have in certain ways, um, what's being described here is a very different world, a very, the, the Sanskrit is chitta vritti, a di very different way of seeing the world where, because we tend to really think kind of life is meant for looking out for number one, right? Looking out for, and that might include my family, my, 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 um, you have a hand up? Yeah. Yeah, I have a question about this. It, it seems to me that there was a time, maybe in the Vedic times, when there were some people who were born with that amount of freedom, and they were the, the Kshatriya um, kings, or, or maybe the, the kings in general, and apparently they were beyond any rules. So there, there were no laws that could be applied to them. I think this is explained in the Bhagavatam. And so there were some select few individuals who had that level of freedom or close to it in, in, in our world, right? Yes, but you're not waiting for my punchline. <laughs> the punchline is that even if we are free from the rules of the state, uh, we're not free from the rules of God. And Krishna says in the Gita, Janma, Mrityu, Jara, Vyadi, Dukkha, Doshanu, Darshanam, right? And so like, can anyone like avoid birth? Did anyone here have a choice about birth, right? And did you, did you put in an application for your parents? I, I want to be born in Gujarat and I'd like it to be in Ahmedabad and make sure that my mom makes really good Dal Dokali. And whatever, I don't want to be born in Punjab. Don't tell your husband I said that joke. <laughs> right? We didn't have a choice. Birth happens. Uh, death, we don't have a choice. Right? As sure, what do they say? The only two sure things, death and taxes. Right? Um, old age, take all the vitamin E in the world, and we still, we still get old. I can explain. I told you I just had my 59th birthday the other day. In my mind, I'm 19, and in body, I'm probably 40, uh, 69 or whatever. But anyway, you know. Um, and then, Janma, Mrityu, Jara, and Vyati, old uh, disease. That as much as we avoid, try to avoid it, um, at some point in time, the body gets sick. So we're not fully independent. That's the point. <laughs> that was the punchline. Um, and the idea of actually being dependent on God, being dependent on the Lord, and taking shelter of Him, and being understanding that we're His servant, that is actually the position of no anxiety, of shanti. And the more we just try to like, you know, fight nature and try to be swarat in our own way, and just think only in terms of our own interests instead of the interests of others and the supreme other to that extent it's funny the more you try to enjoy yourself the less you enjoy the more you try to help others and serve others and especially the supreme lord the more you actually experience happiness it's just uh, it's just one of the it's like you know a squared plus b squared equals c squared it's just a rule of this world it's a it's it's the way things are so um here 
Um, it's, the, it's, it's our existential challenge in life, beyond the challenges of paying our bills and you know, uh, dealing with uh, the transmission in our car breaking down and all those kind of things. The existential challenge that, of understanding who we are and what life is meant for. And does life have a purpose? And if it does, what is that purpose? And if there is a purpose, how do I in deal with my day-to-day -day life in such a way that I'm connected to that purpose? That's what's being hinted at here in this, uh, in this purport. That, um, and, and it's ultimately anger, or, I, I, or here she probably says envy. Envy kind of means like, you know, I'd like to be that person. Right? So Krishna is abhigya swarat, he's fully independent, he, he can do as he pleases, and we'd say, oh, I would really like to do like that. But we can't, it, it's just not dealing with reality. Reality is to understand, actually, I'm not fully independent, and if I connect with the Supreme Lord, then with the person who actually is independent, I'll be happy. So the real Swaraj, um, is not what happened, gosh, it was just, we just had uh, uh, the anniversary of India's independence a few days ago, right? But the real Swaraj is, is, de is developing our dependence on God. So that's uh, today's class. And next week there will not be a class. I have to go to Boston for some meetings, um, but we will continue. Uh, as the song goes, we will see you in September. Right, and uh, and someone's doing the Japa class now. I assume, Risha, are you doing? It? No. <laughs> okay. So now we'll have a meditation uh, on the uh, holy name, and then at twelve thirty there is a, kir a kirtan singing and arti, and then a very special class this week um, is given by Shonakarishi Das. He is the director of the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies. Uh, and he's a, he's a brilliant person. Usually it takes 40 to 50 years to connect a, uh, an organization with Oxford University and give, give out PhDs, and he did that in six years. And he created the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies. Many, many people have gotten PhDs and master's degrees programs in Hindu studies from that, and he's the founder of that program, a very brilliant person. And he'll be speaking this week. We have all these scholars speaking, because next week is uh, Dr. Graham Schwag, who is a professor of, um, of religion in uh, Virginia. And uh, he didn't go to Oxford, he went to Harvard, so. Chump change. But anyway, uh, he'll be speaking uh, next week. And then, you know, when they run out of all those people, they'll ask me to speak again. <laughs> okay, so thank you very much. All right, Krishna.